This is the word of the Lord from Luke 14, 15 through 24. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he told him, A man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, Come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another one said, I just got married, and therefore I'm unable to come. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the cities and bring, in here, bring it here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Master, the servant said, what you ordered has been done and there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? You guys good? Can't help but notice that there's a few of you, at least, that usually come to the 9 a.m. service that are here at the 11 o'clock service. I won't tell anybody. Uh, Hope you enjoyed your extra hour of sleep. Uh, there is a little bit of spring in the air. I know it feels nice. Uh, yesterday, there was actually even some sunshine. And I took my youngest daughter, uh, Hadley, to the UW uh, uh, softball game against the Oregon Ducks. We got there, and there's like a little bit of sunshine. There's a little bit of, you know, baseball. And then it was still just cold. And I'm still cold right now, which is why I'm wearing my official Seattle puffy vest uh, uniform. So if you're tired today and you wanted that extra hour of sleep and you just are feeling cold and cozy, you're in the right place. We're all, we're all kind of feeling that need together here. But um, uh, today uh, we are continuing in our Stories of the Kingdom sermon series where we're looking at the parables of Jesus. We're looking at these, these stories that Jesus told to kind of stir our imaginations and for whatever reason, the last few weeks, um, having these, these other guys preaching, um, uh, couple, Jeremiah is another candidate, Pastor Doug, Pastor John, great job of those guys uh, preaching and teaching. And I, it gave me an opportunity to kind of think, and the analogy came to mind this way. You ever seen in like a science fiction movie or something like that where, you know, the, the, the person's got maybe like these goggles and they're kind of looking around and you can see real life, like here's a car, or here's a fire hydrant, but then there's like data that's kind of running in the side. You guys know what I'm talking about in like the movies? I kind of had that, or maybe you've just like played Pokemon Go and you're like, okay, here's a, here's a fountain, but there's also a lizard on it or whatever, right? The idea being like the, the world that we're looking around, we see it with kind of just our normal earthly eyes, 
But Jesus, through telling us these stories, is wanting to open our eyes to see all sorts of things that are happening around us that we don't just see with our human eyes. There is a spiritual realm at work, friends. And the stories that Jesus tells helps us to reevaluate just the normal kind of day-to-day things that we look at and not just look at them as, as earthly beings, but as those who have been seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So I don't know, I may refer to our, our kingdom goggles from time to time. And I, I just want you to know what I'm thinking about, what kind of weird metaphors in my brain when I, when I use that phrase. I also want you to know um, that uh, we've got a few more weeks left here in these stories of the kingdom. And then when we get to what's called Holy Week, so it's Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, we're going to really focus in on these stories, not just the stories of the kingdom, but the actual clash of kingdoms, where the kingdom of God comes into direct conflict with the kingdom of the enemy. Uh, Palm Sunday, Jesus the king riding in. Uh, Good Friday, Jesus the king enthroned on a cross. And Resurrection Sunday, when Jesus walks out of that grave alive forevermore. And so I hope that you'll join us for that. And then afterwards, we're going to open up the New Testament letters of First and Second Thessalonians. We're going to study those letters together, so I'm looking forward to that. But today, we are in Luke chapter 14, the parable called the one where no one shows up to the party. It's very sad. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this invitation to hear the gospel message. Lord Jesus, you came And you proclaimed the message of the kingdom 2,000 years ago, and this message is still going out to this day, still transforming hearts, still transforming lives. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us today to have just a, a responsive heart to this message of the kingdom. Lord, help me to communicate the truth of the message of this kingdom. And Lord, would we all have hearts that are more fully alive, more fully devoted followers of you, Lord Jesus, as a result of our time together today. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Uh, So this last week, uh, I was at a lunch of various pastors, a pastor's group, and one pastor said something. I can't remember exactly what the activity was. He said, oh yeah, it's my non-traditional pastor hobby. I don't remember what it was. Um, Golfing? I don't know. And, uh, and I, I didn't say anything at the pastor's lunch, but I thought, oh man, he should know that my non-traditional pastor's activity is mosh pits at heavy metal shows. So last Sunday night, there was a group of us, uh, Stacy, Brandon, who's doing security out there, Maxwell, uh, we all went to a show and um, I actually uh, ran into, literally ran into a couple of other pastors in the mosh pit at the heavy metal show. And so this last week I'm talking, it's just, it's fun. It's, I don't know, um, I'm going to write a book someday, a, a theological defense of heavy metal and relate it to the imprecatory Psalms and you're all going to love it. So, but the, the, the point that I'm trying to make is I went to this show and then kind of throughout the week, both friends from church or people I know or some friends from the gym was talking about this show and multiple people said, oh, I really wanted to go, but I forgot about it. Oh, I really wanted to go, but by the time I looked for tickets, they were all sold out. Or, wait, they were coming? I didn't even know. And the point being that I was thinking about this parable and all these excuses, like there's this really fun show, this really fun concert, and all these people missed out on it because they weren't paying attention. Now, it's a silly analogy. It's one thing to miss out on a show. It's one thing to miss out on a concert. It's one thing to miss out on a birthday party, right? But what if the stakes were a little bit higher? 
What if the stakes were a little bit higher? You missed out on something. You weren't paying attention. You missed out on something. Um, We are just about one month away from the least favorite American holiday, tax day. Now, if the IRS calls you up, excuse me, you, you, didn't, uh, you didn't submit your taxes or you didn't file for an extension. You don't get to go, ah, oh, I knew there was something I was forgetting. Darn, I missed out on it, right? I can't remember, there was a comedian, I can't remember which one, he said, taxes is like a really complicated algebra problem where if you get the answer wrong, you go to prison, right? <laughs> like the stakes are higher. You don't just, you know, okay, I missed out on a concert, whatever. Oh, I missed out on tax day. Like that was, that's more important, what Jesus is talking about today is of ultimate importance. Jesus is speaking of eternal life or eternal separation from God. The stakes could not be higher. As followers of Jesus, we believe that there is an eternal destiny that awaits us. And the Lord Jesus, in telling these parables, is telling his hearers that you here today need to hear the message and make a decision that will lead to an ultimate destination. Now, the good news is that the ultimate destination, as Jesus frames it here, is an invitation to the party, the biggest and best party. So it's not tax day. It's come to the party. But if you miss out on the party, you'll be very sad. So there's this, there's this tension here today because on the one hand, I have this great joy of the invitation to the party. On the other hand, there is a tremendous seriousness to what Jesus is saying. And so I'll just summarize the big idea of this parable and of what I want to say today is this. Pay attention or you'll miss out on the party. Pay attention. Be alert. Not a, oh, I was meaning to get around to that. Here the words of Jesus. Now, I want to go back to the beginning of Luke chapter 14 to establish the context of what's happening here. So if you got your Bibles, Luke 14, let's go back to verse one. It says this, it says, one Sabbath, this is in a, a, a travel period of Jesus' ministry. He's kind of going in and around and, and near Jerusalem. So it says this, one Sabbath when he went in to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, the Pharisees are this ruling party. They're in charge of worship and religion in Jerusalem. And this is one of the important ones. So the party's important. This is one of the important ones. So there's a lot of very important people here. And it says they were watching him closely. Um, They didn't like Jesus. They didn't like the claims he made. They didn't like the authority that he taught with. So they're watching him closely. And there, this this note that the, the, uh, the author, Luke, inspired by the Spirit, says, he said there was in front of him a man whose body was swollen with fluid. Perhaps something like um, edema or the old-fashioned term you might see in some of your older Bibles, like dropsy, something like that, where there's a swelling in the body. And, and so there's all these really rich, all these really important ruling class people, but there's a guy who is just not doing well. So in response, Jesus asks the law experts and the Pharisees, hey, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath uh, or not? But they, they kept silent. Do you know why they kept silent? Because they're tired of being schooled by Jesus. They're like, he's setting us up. So he did, Jesus took the man, healed him 
and then sent him away. God's power and grace on display. So then he says to them, all right, guys, listen, which of you, if you have a son or even if you have an ox and it falls into a well, even if it's the Sabbath day, aren't you going to stop what you're doing and immediately help pull him out? And they could find no answer to these things. See, the, the, the problem here to kind of set this up is these Pharisees were very concerned with obeying the law of God. And they were exacting with it. In fact, you've probably heard this idea of there's the fences around the fences around the fences. It's like they're adding more rules to the rules to the rules to make sure they never actually broke the commandments of God. It's a good thing to say, I don't want to break the commandments of God. But they took a good thing and they elevated it up to this ultimate thing. And in so doing, they lost the plot. Jesus is saying, yes, the Sabbath is important. Don't work. Take a day of rest. Focus on the Lord. But Jesus says it's more important to do that which would bring life. Don't pit the commands of the Lord against each other. Use wisdom to know how to apply these principles in these moments. So the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they're all kind of sitting there. And, and then Jesus just kind of, I'm going to summarize this next little section. He just kind of, he, he goes for the jugular. He goes even another layer in. He notices that they're all kind of jockeying for the seating order, the position of how they're seated around the table. In uh, in the ancient Near East, and actually in a lot of parts of the world, you have uh, the importance, the societal importance is based on your seating order. So if you're the person that's throwing the party, you sit at the head of the table, and whoever the most important person is gets to sit right next to them. And he notices that they're all kind of pushing and shoving, and so Jesus tells this other kind of parable, a short little analogy. He goes, man, imagine that you went to a party and you pushed your way to the front of the line and you're sitting there at the most important seat, and then afterwards someone comes in and you get pulled out of that seat and demoted. You'd look like such an idiot. It's in the Greek. It's in paraphrasing here for Jesus, right? He goes, think about how dumb you would feel. He goes, rather, you should seat yourself at the lowest seat and let someone come and elevate you. Let someone else lift you up. Humble yourself and let, let someone else kind of raise you up. And so he's telling this stuff about all their, all their pride and all of their kind of, uh, you know, assumptions and their, and their, you know, sticking to the rules upon the rules upon the rules. And in the middle of this whole teaching, we get this guy who, who basically misses the plot. Jesus goes, look, don't just invite people who can repay you. Let God reward you on the day of the resurrection, at the final day. And so this guy in verse 15 is reclining at the table with Jesus. He heard these things and he goes, man, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, scholars seem to think that maybe a couple of things are happening here in this verse. They seem to think that this guy is trying to redirect. Maybe he's feeling chastised by Jesus, all these corrections. Oh, let's talk about the good days when the kingdom of God comes. But also, there's kind of an assumption baked into his words. I can't wait to be one of the ones that gets to eat at the banquet at the kingdom of God. Oh, look at how great this banquet is. Look how great that banquet one day is going to be. <sighs> look at me. I'm pretty special and pretty important. Jesus ain't having any of it. So Jesus begins to tell this parable that we're focused on today. He said, once upon a time, 
there's a guy who's going to give a large banquet, a big party. I mean, this is not just a little party. This is a big party. And he wanted to invite many. So he sent out his paperless post, got the people to RSVP. And at the time of the banquet, the reminder text went out. His servant, this, I'm, I'm trying, you guys, know, you guys know what paperless post is? Okay. Four of you know what paperless post is. See, there's this thing called, okay, Evite. Does anyone know what that is? There's this thing called the internet. And you can use it. I'm just, man. They didn't have it back then. That's the funny part. You guys are, you are missing an hour of sleep. I can tell. He says, okay, the time of the banquet, he sent his servant out. Bah, 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 party's ready. Let's all come on in. Let's go. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, well, I, I bought a field. I've got to go out and see it. My, my realtor wants to do a walkthrough of the house here before we close. And it's randomly scheduled for Friday night, right in the middle of when you usually have parties, not walkthroughs. Another guy said, well, I just, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I just bought a fleet of trucks. And uh, I got go, uh, to go drive each one of them. Got to go try them out. So will you please excuse me? Another guy said, well, I just got married. Obviously, I can't come to the party. I got other things I'm concerned of. Actually, in ancient Israel culture, uh, newlyweds were excused from things for like a year. No military service, no, no. I mean, it wasn't just like, oh, go to Cabo for a week and have a honeymoon. It was like, hey, say no to everything and go get busy starting a family. So that's what he's doing. So the servant came back and reported these things to the master. Hey, nobody is coming to the party. They all, without, I mean, Jesus is being very hyperbolic here, right? This huge party, all these invites, and without exception, they all made these excuses. So the master, in anger, told the servant, well, you know what? Let's not just have the important people come. Go to the streets and the alleys of the city and bring in the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. Like the man who was swollen, the edema, and all that earlier, Jesus says, go get the people that society just does not care for. Go get the people that are not regarded by important upper crust society. Again, just in my imagination, Jesus is at not just a Pharisee's house, but a leader of the Pharisees. This is upper crust, and he's telling this story about how the upper crust won't show up for the party, so go get the people that nobody cares about. Maybe it's just my overactive imagination, but it just feels so awkward in this moment. So the story goes on. The servant comes back, master, we did it. We went and, we went and got all the, all the people that nobody cares about, all the lower dregs of society. But guess what? There's still room in your party. So the master told the servant, all right, go out into the, the highways and the hedges. Get out of the city. Go out to the rural parts. Have any of you guys ever seen the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? You remember this, this song? My, my girls, when they were young, would say, in the highways, in the hedges. Uh, so that was running in my mind all week. But then I read a note from a commentary that said the phrase in the Greek, highways and hedges, it's a colloquialism that means country roads. So there's another song that popped into my head. <laughs> country roads, west, west Jerusalem, come again. <laughs> Basically, it's like, okay, let's get out of the city and let's go out to the rural parts. Those people who aren't even part of the inn, let's go out. Let's go out there. Because I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. And then the story shifts and Luke moves on to another part of Jesus' life and ministry and that's kind of just left 
hanging there. I want to make five observations from this, which for a guy who hasn't preached in three weeks, that's pretty good. It should have been 37, 38. I'm going to give you five observations from this parable and things that I want us to think about and reflect on in light of this story of Jesus, the story that Jesus told. The first reflection is this. God is throwing a party and he will have a full house. He will have a full house. Most Bible scholars and commentaries see the, the city is the, is, is the invitation to the lower people of the people of Israel. And then the, the highways and the hedges is all of the Gentiles, all of those who are non-Jewish. The idea that, that God is saying, I'm throwing this party. But here's the thing I want us to think about. Do we see the message of the gospel fundamentally framed as an invitation to a party? I had a, a wish this week. I didn't get an opportunity, but I wanted to talk to one of my non-Christian friends, people in my life, and just say, hey, what do you think it means to be a follower of Jesus? Now, I have had conversations like this with non-Christian friends or family members in the past, and to my knowledge, not a single one of them has ever come back and been like, man, following Jesus sounds like a real party. Mostly, they say things like, um, it makes it sound like you're signing up your kid for boarding school. I've heard people, non-Christians, say things like, oh yeah, I, my kid needs to go to church. He could use a little religion. It'd be good for him. Like you're sending someone to military school. That's some discipline, right? So being a follower of Jesus is discipline. Um, oh yeah, I sh- you know, hope, inspiration. It'll be good. Like you're going to a, like you're going to a Celine Dion concert or something. You know, just like, oh, I just feel all uplifted. Josh Groban, right? You raise me up, right? You just, I'm uplifted, right? People talk about it kind of like, oh yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna just, it's good for you. It's healthy for you. It's like eating your vegetables, right? It'd be, it'd be a good thing for you to do, to believe in something and to go to church. I was just struck this week how so much of the message that Jesus proclaimed is you want to come to the party. For, for any of you who maybe are listening who are, are not a follower of Jesus, I just invite you to consider the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus is come to the party. And, and for those of you who are followers of Jesus, already by God's grace, it's easy to slip back into that mindset. Now listen, hear me. Following Jesus has challenges. In this life, you will have many trials. Uh, in fact, Good Friday, Jesus' invitation, come and die with me, right? It's a strange party. <laughs> I'm not trying to promote some sort of kind of prosperity sort of thing where, hey, just come follow Jesus and all your problems are gonna go away and everything's gonna be super peachy and super rosy. I'm not saying that at all. But the fundamental framework that we are being invited into is God wants to throw a party and he wants a really, really full house. You and I were created for joy. You and I were created by God to enjoy him forever. We were created to enjoy the good world that he created. We were created to enjoy each other and through our sin and through our folly, we rejected that life of joy with God and we fell into slavery to death and to sin. But God sent his son, Jesus, to live this perfect life that we've never lived. And in fact, so many of the people hated Jesus. Why? Because he was always going to parties. They said he's a drunkard. 
They said he's a glutton. No religious leader could be having this much fun. And Jesus was inviting people to show them that through his death on the cross and through his resurrection, we are invited back into the party. We get to enjoy God. We get to enjoy each other. And the more that we grow in Christ-likeness, the more that we're sanctified, the more that we're changed, the more joy there is because sin is awful and it robs you of enjoyment of God. We're invited to this party. No, I'm not saying that nothing will ever be difficult or challenging. Someone at the party has got to, you know, take the trash can out and empty the recycle bin. I don't know. That's, I'm, that's a dumb metaphor. Ignore that I even said that. But right, like, just the idea being this fundamental framework is enjoying God, enjoying life with him, enjoying life together with his people. Sin it separates us from the party, and Jesus came to bring us in. Jesus said the, the, the religious elites are going to miss out the, the, the regular old Jewish folk who society regards and they trust they don't regard, they're going to get in and we're going out to the country roads and we're getting the Gentile bumpkins as well. Praise God. This is the message of the gospel. God's throwing a party. Now, it leads me to the second idea, which is this party won't be like many people expect it to be. This is thought number two if you're tracking along. See, this guy... The foot and mouth guy, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Seems reasonable to infer that he's saying, yeah, I can't wait till I get to be a part of this party. And then Jesus tells this whole parable to say, ah, all those people who were invited aren't even going to go. And all these people who you didn't think were going to be there are going to be there. Have any of you seen, there's a show called The Good Place. Have you guys watched that comedy show? Um, it's an interesting show. Obviously, it's not a Christian show, but it raises some really uh, just terrific questions about the afterlife and moral philosophy. And, and uh, I mean, it's, they're not Christian. They get every answer wrong, but they ask really good questions. But right in the beginning of that show, one of the characters is asking one of the angels, like, hey, who's in like the bad place that would surprise me? And lists some names. I think he listed like Mozart was one of the names. I'm like, if you studied music history at all, you know that Mozart was not a good, a good person. But the idea of, oh, he's so talented. He's so good. He should obviously be in the good place, right? And I bring this up to illustrate a point. You and I, just kind of in our natural human thinking, without putting on our, our kingdom of God VR goggles, we have this assumption about who's going to get in and who's going to get out. The baseline assumption for everybody is, well, you know, a person who's good enough gets to go to the party. If you're just good, at least good enough, you go to any funeral, any non-Christian funeral, you will hear someone say, well, we just know they're in a better place because upon death, apparently everyone's pretty good. Friends, listen to me. One of my favorite verses, the prophet Isaiah, I can't remember which chapter right now, um, but it says God, God's speaking for himself and he says, I dwell in the highest and loftiest possible place. And then he says, but I also dwell with the lowly and the contrite. So essentially God is saying, there's two places you can find me. The highest, most glorious most top of the ladder, stairway to heaven place, like all the way at the tippy top. But God says, you want to know the other place where I am? The lowest of the low with the bottom feeders, the broken, the dregs. 
So you have two choices. If you want to be in this party, if you want to be with God, you can aim for the stars. You can shoot for the moon. You can try to climb the stairway to heaven. You can try to get to the one who dwells in unapproachable light. But all that's going to do is exhaust you and leave you bereft at the end. You know the better option? Go low. Go low. The crippled, the lame, the poor, the broken, the repentant. The repentant, the repentant. The people who are going to be in God's party are those who are deeply convinced that they have no right to be at God's party. You tracking with me? How are you going to get to God? Ladder, climb, climb to the tippy top? How about you hit your face before him and say, there's no reason why I should be at this party. But in your grace, you've made it possible. How many of you are thankful for grace? How many of you are thankful for God's amazing grace? When we come to the table of the Lord in a little while, you know, the, the passage we read every, most every week in 1 Corinthians where he talks about, you know, examine yourself. Not a single perfect person gets to come down these aisles and celebrate the Lord's table. It's people who have examined themselves and say, Lord, I have no right to eat of this table except for your grace. So, God's throwing a party. It's not going to look like a lot of people expect it. Third idea. God's present kingdom is more important than anything else. It's more important. Right? That's kind of the central plot point of this parable. It's like, hey, this party invitation is more important than anything else you might have going on in your life. See, some people, particularly in our culture, make God an add-on to their life. I have many good things in my life. I have my family. I have my friends. I have my job. I have, you know, I volunteer. I've got school, whatever. And yes, I have God. God's a nice part, a nice kind of side addition to my life. But friends, Jesus is saying that he will not be an addition to your life. He will be the center of your life. Jesus said even some extreme hyperbolic things. As Pastor Doug reminded us a few weeks ago, Jesus said big extreme things. There's, there's a part where Jesus says, unless you hate your father and mother, you have no part of my kingdom. Now, do we think that Jesus is actually commanding hatred or a breaking of one of the Ten Commandments? No, but what he is saying is, I'm center. And father and mother, as much as you may love them, as much of a good thing as family may be, that's the subordinate thing. I want all of who you are. I want the totality of your life. I will not settle for second place. It reminds me of C.S. Lewis when he's talking about, um, in mere Christianity, he uses this analogy. He said, Jesus is like the dentist. He says, most of us, we go to the dentist because we've got this one little problem we want the dentist to fix. But the moment you let the dentist in there, he says, they're going to start messing around with stuff that you did not want them to mess with. And he says, Jesus is like that. We might go to Jesus like, hey, I need help with this one problem in my life. And he says, do <laughs> count the cost because the moment you open that door to Jesus, he wants all of who you are. So this message of the kingdom is not an add-on. Jesus is saying this message of the kingdom, this is central and everything else 
needs to be seen as subordinate or supportive to the work of the kingdom. Which leads me to my fourth point, and this is the one I want to camp out on for maybe the longest amount of time, which is this. Some of the worst distractions are themselves good things. These are good things. You'll notice that none of the excuses that came back were like, hey, sorry, I can't make it to the party. I've got to rob a bank. Hey, oh, sorry, I, I, I double booked myself. I've got a real narrow window of time where I've got to go kill a guy and then I would come to the party. But right, What are the excuses that are given? Hey, I just bought a field. Um, this is not a trick question. Is, a, is ownership of a field in the biblical mindset, is that a blessing from the Lord? You seem like I'm trying to trick. I'm telling you, I'm not trying to trick you. Yes, uh, uh, the parable of the fig tree from a few weeks back, the vine and the fig tree and like this idea of like God would bless you with a, a piece of property to call your own, a piece of land where you could live to recline under your vine, your fig tree. That's a symbol of blessing. The oxen, he says five yoke of oxen, that's five pairs of oxen, that's 10 oxen. The average ancient Israelite wouldn't even have owned one oxen. And this guy somehow got 10 I mean, this is literally like a business opportunity. Like someone just, someone just gave me a, you know, a fleet of trucks and I'm going to be able to you know, quadruple my business overnight. Like this is a monstrous blessing that this guy got. Or, or the guy who just got married. Again, I am not trying to trick you. Is marriage and family a good thing? Yes. Yes, Aaron, it is. But the, the thing we need to understand that these distractions in and of themselves, they're not bad things. But any good thing that then takes priority over the growth of the kingdom of God in your life becomes an idol. See, this is where I go from preaching to meddling. Because I believe that in our North Puget Sound suburban context, this is a very real danger for you and for me. We live in the wealthiest part of the wealthiest part of the wealthiest nation on planet Earth in the wealthiest time in human history. And any of you who feel poor right now need to understand that if the Pharisees at the party were to see how we live, they'd be really jealous because they loved money. There's so much economic prosperity. There is so much opportunity for financial advancement. The poorest ones among us are still doing incredibly well by the standards of human history. Jesus here is highlighting a very real warning about the dangers of money. Some of you might think passages like 1 Timothy 6 where the Apostle Paul says, those who want to be rich fall into a temptation, a trap, many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil and by craving it, some have, listen to this, wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Hear me loud and clear. It is, not a ble- it, is not a, it is not a sin to be entrusted with wealth from the Lord. Some of you have been entrusted, and some of us, all of us, have been entrusted with a tremendous amount of wealth. 
What Jesus is getting at is the posture of our hearts. Do you love the wealth or do you see it as a tool that can be used in service of God and his kingdom? Same with work, right? If the oxen is a metaphor for work, uh, quick show of hands, how many of you have a job? Okay, another show of hands. How many of you are grateful for that job? Raise your hands, okay, okay. I'm not asking you on a Monday morning. It's a Sunday, it's fine. <laughs> that job that you have is a blessing. Maybe some of you, though, can relate to me where there have been times in my life, stressful season at work, stressful season of finances, where I wake up in the middle of the night and my mind is racing and I'm thinking about work and money. And I have to confess, in my life, that has been way more common than waking up in the middle of the night wondering, am I really living for the kingdom of God? So maybe you're like me on that. What is it that has your heart? And, I think I was on thin ice before, family. It is not a sin to be married with children. In fact, God wants us to invest in our spouses and in our children, to love them well, to disciple our kids, right? But there is such a thing as idolizing your family. In our American evangelical context, there at times have been ways where I've seen this, this, this hyper, well, like focus on the family. where the family becomes an end in and of itself and not a way to bring glory and honor to Jesus. Um, man, just, I know, I, I told you I'm meddling here, but some of you who are younger parents just getting started out on your parenting journey, do not build your entire life around your children. Build your life around Jesus and invite them to come along with you. Those of you who are in the throes of it, you're, you're well into that journey of parenting. Love your children. Disciple your children. Use these, these things, these, these, the opportunities the Lord's given you to see his kingdom come and his will be done. But don't make it central. Klein Snodgrass, always love a good Klein quote. He says, this warning of Luke must be heard. The biggest obstacles to discipleship are possessions and family. But... They are also some of the biggest opportunities for discipleship. It's not about if you have a family or if you have a job or if you have money. It's about what you're doing with them. Kingdom of God at center. And then lastly, fifth and final observation. This kingdom invitation comes with a sense of urgency. There's an urgency to this invite. You notice kind of in this parable, the, the laissez-faire attitude of the people, you know, oh, I've got this other thing. Oh, I'll get around to it, get around to it. Listen, friends, God is incredibly patient. Amen? 
God is incredibly patient, but he is also the righteous one. And he has fixed a day when the heavens and the earth and all that have ever lived will stand before him on the day of judgment. And there is an urgency to this invitation. The invitation is real. It is joyful. It is better than anything you could possibly have ever hoped for. But the invitation does not last forever. There will come a day when Jesus returns and all will stand before him and give an account. Did you receive this message of the kingdom? Did you respond in repentance and faith? Did you accept the invitation on his terms? Or did you reject it? What's more, you don't know how long you have left. None of us know when we will take our final breath. It is appointed for a man to die once, and then after that, to face judgment. And so with On the one hand, there's this incredible party you're invited to, the incredible good news of this party, the joy of the party that you're invited to. But there's an urgency to this. If you are hearing me today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, don't delay. Don't put it off. Don't say, yeah, I'd like to consider that someday and I'll get around to it. Come to the party. Come to the party. The eternal party, but also the joy that can be ours right now. If you are already, by God's grace, a follower of Jesus, don't be lulled into apathy. Don't be lulled into apathy. Don't be lulled into this false sense of, oh, things are are pretty good in my life. Kingdom urgency for your own life as well as the lives of others that God has put around you. So if I could just close with a few questions to chew on maybe this week in your homes, your community groups. A couple of questions to chew on. The first one is this. When you think about the kingdom, do you think about an invitation to the party? Even as a follower of Jesus, or, or does being a Christian is a little bit more like going to boarding school and eating your vegetables? Is this your framework? I, I get, I, I'm invited to the party. Number two, question two to think about. What good things in your life need to be refocused or reprioritized for the sake of the kingdom. God's blessed us. Man, anybody here just grateful for the blessings that the Lord has given to us? So good. Refocus them, repurpose them for the sake of the kingdom. Question three. How do you need to cultivate that heart of humility that leads to true assurance, especially here in light of coming to communion in just a moment. Lord, I don't deserve to go to the party. (laughs) How good are you for inviting me to the party? So how do you need to cultivate that heart of humility? And then last question, question four, where is your sense of kingdom urgency today? Today is the day. How do you need to respond to King Jesus? Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you have invited us to a party. Thank you for this this great news, the life of joy that we were created to live with you forever. And Lord, I pray that you would help us where we're in danger 
of focusing on the, the blessings of the here and now and not letting them propel us to the eternal. Lord, would you forgive us where we've been presumptive? Would you forgive us where we've been, uh, where we've had our priorities out of line? And Lord, would you stir us with a sense of joy, with a, with a, with a desire, an urgent joy, Lord, to live this life of the kingdom that you've invited us to. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' good name. Amen.